Awesome. There it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lunar Crush Live. Um, this morning, we've got John from SteadyState.Finance, right? Is that how it goes? Yeah. Um, and we got John Lunar Crush, both spelling oh, the boy. name J-O-N, so super stoked about that. <laughs> um, little technical difficulty this morning. Um, I, if I randomly disappear off of this show, it's because we have, uh, we have no power and uh, no Wi-Fi. Uh, but we're going to do it here off of the phone. Uh, appreciate that. Just a reminder to everyone. Um, you know, we do not take payments for our live stream. Uh, we bring on cool, fun people in the industry that have dedicated their lives towards uh, cryptocurrency and, you know, the passion that we have in the space. Um, you know, keep an eye out. We've got, I think we've got Star Atlas on Friday. I think it's Friday. It's going to be our last uh, live stream of the year with Star Atlas. So we're super stoked to have them on. Um, we'll be posting about that at, like towards the rest of the week. Um, but without further ado, Mr. John Libby, what's up, my man? Hey, not much. Things are going good. Awesome, dude. Um, yeah. Where uh, we always like to start, like, where are you in the world and uh, what's it like there? Um, currently based in Austin, Texas. It's very cloudy and very rainy. And uh, but it's still, uh, you know, even on the coldest day, it's still 50 degrees, you know, so we, we, we're loving it over here. It's uh, awesome. That's not bad. Snow in Texas. Not yet. Yeah, it's coming, I think. So it's not like that, that like, wasn't it last, was it last year you guys had that like crazy ice storm? Uh, yeah. So I wasn't around then, but like, I heard about that and remember seeing that in the news and like, I'll tell you what, if you don't know how to drive in the snow, um, I'm from Maine originally, actually. So I, I've learned, we, we drive through like nor'easters, store storms. And it's just another day for us. If you don't know how to drive through this stuff, it can get like really brutal. And like, I, that's what I hear every time in like Tennessee, you'll drop an inch of snow and like for us, we'll go through a feet, a foot. And like, that is just knowing there's car wrecks everywhere and trash. And, like everything like, blows my mind whenever I see that stuff. But like, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not looking forward to this, the accidents, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Folks in Texas don't, you know, some people don't really know how to drive in the snow down there. I would say that. Mm -hmm. I need to get to Maine again. Maine's beautiful, super underrated. The summers in Maine are like phenomenal. Oh, yeah, super amazing. It's a good time. I I love it there. The the winters are cold. It's uh, you, yeah. I never realized how cold it was because like you're you're used to it. It'd be like negative twenty degrees with wind chill, and like we're we're gonna go to like high school. Like I'd go to high school in shorts and a t shirt, not even <laughs> thinking about it. And like maybe it's also because like I was a dumb teen. But like, yeah, the whole weather thing, it's just a different world, you know? Amazing. Yeah. As we sit here in California today and it's like, yeah. it's like raining and we're going, we're freaking out because it's raining. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like the roads today. You don't even want to go out there with, with the folks in Southern California. Like I'm from Chicago. So same kind of thing, John. It's like, you know, just a foot of snow. It doesn't even matter. Like you got to figure it yeah. out. You got to get to work um, here. It's a little bit of rain. Everyone's everything's getting canceled. Like it's crazy. Um. <laughs> So, like, want to learn a little bit about you? Um, you know, how did you kind of get in the industry? Like, you know, how did you get started with with Steady State, and then kind of maybe intro, um, you know, what you guys are doing a little bit. But would love to learn about your background too. Yeah. So, um, a little bit of my background is I fell in love with crypto and DeFi around 2019, the fall of 2019. I uh, it was um, my one of my professors is a founder of a pretty big one of the uh, big one of the original crypto protocols built. Uh, back in like, you know, conceptual the idea in 2016, 2017, I think it was, and been building it since. They're like a half a million AUM or something, like killing the game. Half a billion, sorry, half a billion AUM. And, uh, you know, um, from him, I kind of like learned about the space because I, I didn't know about compound finance and Aave. And I started researching these things and I really blew my mind 
how powerful these ecosystems could actually be. And eventually, you know, my thoughts during all of like 2020 is how do I get involved? Um, and when do I break in? And um, during DeFi summer, I uh, spent a lot of time working in DAOs and crypto and doing a lot of that stuff. I started probably year in finance was the first project I really fell in love with. I remember when it was first launched, that was a power, powerful um, system um, where you could arbitrage highest yields between synthetics, Aave, and Compound. And ever since then, I've just been deep down the rabbit hole trying to build and like expo, 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 um, grow and be part of the system wherever I could. Um, the original plan for my life was like, go work in investment banking, go work in consulting. And then when I feel ready with enough skills, I'm going to re-enter the space and really try to contribute value. And I was actually fortunate enough to be able to enter right out of college um, to build Steady State, uh, which is um, what we're doing right now. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I'm I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more. You know why uh, you said you were fortunate enough to go straight into steady state. Which congratulations! I'm so glad you didn't have to go suffer on that other side of the fence over there, um, <laughs> and then get sucked into maybe you know doing what you didn't want to do. Um, gone through that myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what? Uh, why, why straight into it? Like what enabled you to go and just start building this out the, out the bat? Was it like, hey, I'm doing this no matter what. This is my passion, or you know, you were like, hey, like you know, I made the right trade, and you know, lo- lo- yeah. now I can do this. So an opportunity arose. So something I did during the fall of 2019 is I, um, you know, I was looking to figure out ways like that will help bring DeFi mainstream. Um, that was one of the things. So like in their governance chats, you'll find governance chats of me proposing um, different ideas and financial products to build in ecosystems. Um, if you ever find my Anon account, you never will. Um, and uh, but, uh, you know, proposing things. And from there, I actually met a company called the Yield App. Yield app wasn't launched then. They're um, a competitor with like Nexo and Celsius. They don't operate in the US. Um, but I was able to found them and so find one of the co-founders in the governance chat. And basically, um, I was able to support um, them in their launch, I guess, with to a little bit, a little bit on the portfolio side. And then afterwards, um, that's my last semester of college, they called me um, to try to build a solution to support them further, um, an insurance solution. Um, so my background, actually, I have a lot of insurance exposure. Um, I've learned a lot from a lot of different insurance type people and learned a bunch of different systems and models. I just something I did in college, you know, and and basically I never planned to do insurance. Also, the career it just happened to end up like, you know, they called me and said, we need help building an insurance solution. And we think you can be innovative to try to figure something out. And um, from there, I did my research. I did a lot of presentations, a lot of internal conversations and meetings. And eventually I kind of started putting some things together that they really supported. And um, they wanted to like, I, we want this to be our company to, like, to be a part of this. And so as we developed and built out, um, you know, they eventually said, hey, um, what are your thoughts on going to build your own protocol? And they've been working with me to build that since then. Um, and it's been very, very exciting and a great journey since then. John, just to go back at one thing you, you mentioned, you, you talked about DeFi going mainstream. I, I'd just yeah. be curious, what, is that, what does that mean to you? And what do you think that looks like? I, I mean, it keeps changing for me. Um, what do you think DeFi mainstream for originally? Um, Cause what I saw when I first saw DeFi was a massive derivatives market at a, at a, at a level of efficiency you'd never be able to realize um, in any institutional market. And when I remember during DeFi summer, I thought the, the highest proposition you could bring to institutional finance were these lending pools. Okay. And, and um, different, uh, maybe a high yield fixed income type bond. Uh, maybe I thought were the two kinds of solutions you could bring to my institutional finance. And so my thoughts were, how do we construct products like that? 
And, you know, how this evolved, my thoughts to bring DeFi mainstream is a lot of these people um, aren't going to be interacting with these products now. You know, they're going to, it's like, um, you think about a portfolio. Most people aren't spending their days researching stocks and equity markets, right? They hire someone to do that or a management firm. And so I think bringing DeFi mainstream is really getting safe, strong yields, um, whatever that looks like, and then attracting portfolios, companies into utilizing these systems, which we're seeing now. And from there, it's a lot ha having everyone's um, life be impacted by that in a positive manner by seeing different returns be derived from this back-end market. And that's, I think, is how it's going to go mainstream, is it's going to become a new kind of asset class we're going to utilize. I think the token um, is one of the most powerful concepts that's been constructed, okay, for business um, infrastructure. And I think eventually a lot of these different systems and these different tokens are going to be a key part of everyone's portfolio based on their contribution. And um, But I think the first step, step will be getting everyone get attached to everyone's portfolios. And that's going to be through portfolio. I, I like that a lot. That sounds, I mean, it's, it, you're making it sound like it's like a passive thing. It is just kind of there and it's just kind yeah. of working just like mm -hmm. most people operate and work today. And that, that's, that's a great response more than you think, because, because like, if you just look at like crypto in general across the board, that's mainstream crypto, not making anyone alter their life. It's just there. Yeah. You know, exactly. and I, I find that, I find that really probably an honest and realistic answer versus saying it's a, it's a user experience problem. <laughs> Maybe short term. It is a user yeah. problem. But, I mean, sure, well, sure, sure. But for us to worry about, not for the average. Right. Person, right. It's, exactly. Uh, exactly. When you look at like, I looked at um, this new project being built by Dot um, called Layer Zero, and they went through a test. But like, I didn't realize to move from Ethereum to Binance Chain, it costs. I think it's fifty-four clicks or something like that on your to to move from a, a token, a wrapped token on Sushi from ETH. To the Binance ecosystem, and while while unwrapping, right into another chain, it takes like it's fifty clicks. I'm like, I never noticed taking fifty clicks, but like, how is that ever going to be a user friendly experience? Just, yeah. I think it's like you're it's talking like, you're yeah. talking about a native asset, like yeah. That, but how to wrap it across a bridge to the other asset was fifty four total clicks. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I was just yeah, he was just he was just labeling them, and he was able to do it in one click actually, which was pretty insane in one transaction. Um, what they were trying to do as a test, it was three smart contracts in one transaction. It's crazy. Um, but like, it's like, what we're seeing is like, well, these different things is like a lot of like, no one's buying options. You know what I mean? Like, no, not the average Joe's not buying options. They're not buying equities. They're not doing research on stocks. That's the clicks, right? And that's for the people active in the industry. And they um, contribute value and capital. And they yeah, no, it's a great point. And it's like, and, and you guys talk about moving to this passive like experience and it's like mm -hmm. i would say like 54 clicks i would say a couple of months ago like there was a zero click option like you couldn't do it decentralized right you have to go, to, you go yeah. somewhere you had to trade it so that's interesting that's cool like we're getting 54 clicks is better than not possible and then we'll kind of get down to like hopefully one or some sort of passive thing but just like real life example i mean i was i went to like i was helping out a friend and they invited a bunch of friends over to like learn just a little bit about crypto and it was like i was like this will be fun like 10 15 people all like different cross sections of like you know types of people from different professions and it's just so interesting you know to figure out how different everyone's level of knowledge is on the industry and then you've got the kind of like people that are super curious that are like i want to get into it i want to start working in it all the way to the people who are like i got no idea i just hear like my daughter or son talking about this and i think it's interesting and i want to know about it and it's like i think the hard part for our industry is like, how do you build for all of those people? 
how do you provide something? And I think it just goes back yeah. to like what you're saying of we, we might not be building specifically for each of those people. You just have to move it so far into the background that all those people don't even realize that it's like being used. It's just a better option for the products that they currently use. A great example for that is, um, I, you know, that's why we have a lot of like, it's, we have your intermediaries in the system, right? And these intermediaries act and they operate to help bring up the value. Uh, I know we, we don't like the banks, but only bring banking up as an example, right? Like you bankers are hired to look at these systems that are built and get you the best value, whether it's a robot doing it or another person, we'll probably see something similar like that um, happening in this trading, this ecosystem. Um, I had one more comment and, and, and I think, you know, the only way for them to like want to use a system is if the value is actually there. And I think it is. Um, the efficiency here is undeniable. I think a great example was uh, Mark Cuban made a tweet a couple of weeks ago about trying to get an over collateralized loan um, off of some of his some of his um, different. Uh, I don't know. Uh, some part of his portfolio trying to get a structured loan out of half a million dollars. And it was going to take him a total, I think it was said seven days to go through the process to get this loan or before she finds an approval or non-approval. And he could literally just deposit all his assets on Ave. Okay. And then from those assets deposit on Ave, he apparently he was able to get a half a million dollars, the same loan at 50%, which is what he wanted. And like, I think when you think about that as in the system, like there's probably something there where we're going to start seeing a lot of people, um, you know, working with a bank and just get loan out immediately without having to go through all these systems, as long as like everything's done the back end and the bank will be using like Aave. Or ideally, there's no banks and we're just using ourselves. But, you know, we have to rational yeah. about what the systems look like. Well, it sounds to me like what's going to be really important here is DeFi insurance. Woo! Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see how that, we'll, we'll see how, I, yeah, so I think you're actually right. I think uh, what we're seeing right now is safety. And it's really important to make sure we're, 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 there's a lot of safety here. And when you think about how insurance works right now, it's very questionable about how good this insurance is. And currently, are they attracting the right markets? Um, I think a great example is, um, you know, how we kind of, um, a great example is basically um, one, of, one of our people or partners was trying to get a policy. And basically, when they were doing research and trying to get a policy, um, and when you research and trying to get a policy for them, they, there were two kind of problems we found is that these people, these business, could get a policy size for about a $50 million portfolio at that time of only $800,000 total of coverage. And so they, that was really small for them. And for their exposures, they needed like something larger. And they couldn't using, you know, looking at Shield, looking at Cover, looking at Nexus, looking at everyone, they couldn't compile more than 800 k um, And then the other problem they found is um, all that insurance was not meant for a business. It's, it's meant for retail. If you think about how insurance right now is you're getting your exposure to the risk of using the business. And there's no way for the business to just simply cover themselves and take care of their community. It's very odd, you know, when you when Ford Motor Companies, okay, you still have to get insurance for your car if something happens that you're responsible. But when you deposit your assets, say in a bank, the bank has insurance, or when Ford has insurance, if a part breaks down, that's not your fault, and they recover that. And that's your risk from using the Ford. That's your risk from using the bank. And there is no way right now, system right now, put in place where protocols can just get insurance to cover the community. Um, there are a few actually competitors now arriving that can actually are starting to do that, but we're seeing a list of other problems arrive from that. One is these protocols, when you think about normal insurance, you have one large fund and you distribute policies according to the, the size of the fund. And you can distribute a certain amount of value out from the fund comparative to um, 
comparative to like your exposure, like how much you can before being too exposed to one event. And, and so what we're seeing is they're not able to get policies. These business insurances are not able to get policies still past a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars And um, so we're still seeing infrastructural problems here. We're like, we're, we're starting to realize protocol insurance is definitely the future. Okay. You, if Luna Crush can say, if, you know, if anyone uses smart contracts, then they can protect their community. Um, that's a big deal and or protect the treasury. And what we're all seeing, so is, is, is like protocol level insurance is definitely the future, but um, how we got to go by sourcing liquidity to fill these pools is, is, um, is, is we're finding is very tough if you go by the conventional insurance model um, because there's no insurance pool portfolio large enough to get a, get a sizable exposure right now because we're all, all these funds are very small. That's, that's really interesting with like, talking about because i can even see the like the competition from the yield in just regular stable coins because oh at some God. point the insurance the insurance product has to be more valuable or that you people won't have to want to move money there yeah um, to say that like hey i'm now like it like i for sure would buy a product if it, it was like hey you're you're insuring all of algorand's and <clears throat> cardano's treasury like Sweet. hell yeah like give me, give me exposure <laughs> to that um, yeah yeah because right. it's a more stable piece but at the same time if i'm like hey like i can still get 18.65 percent on anchor with terra like you know which one do i feel more comfortable with it's like i feel pretty comfortable with both being this deep in the industry so it's like now you're running into can you be that competitive and will exactly. algo rand and i'm just using algo as an example just because i yeah but will any of these layer ones or any protocols treasury would they pay over 18 percent seems pretty expensive you're right. So that's the other problem, right? Is premiums versus yields. So if you're trying to source capital from a community into a fund, okay, you need to convince yields, get yield high enough, not only just to be competitive with markets, but to be competitive compared to the risk tolerance being taken on for that. Um, and so basically you have to be think about is yield. And, but the problem is if you're trying to charge like an 18%, what protocol can pay 18% let's say on a $20 million policy? Um, you know, no one's going to do that. That's not, that's not rational. Um, that's not a rational business decision. You can probably get a decent coverage from the treasury if you're trying to pay that much. So it's, there's something really dynamically problematic here where it's like the users who put capital down need high yield and the premiums paid out has to be, um, the premiums paid out has to be um, low enough where these protocols are actually going to pay them out. And they're naturally in competition with one another. And so maybe the question is, is what's the premium payment? was our conclusion. Can we utilize the premium payment to get higher yield? And um, is, are there other ways to source yield outside of the premium payment was kind of my conclusions. Um, and there's a whole list of other problems is how do you even source this liquidity? Okay. For the risk. Okay. And then that's a whole nother model we, we, we built out. But, you know, our thoughts are what if the token you were paid out, the dollar or whatever was paid out in the premium could be utilized without having to pay gas fees to reutilize the token? So like an asset management type deal. And the other thoughts are, what if you could actually convert, what if you could convert some, one yield into more yields with the same dollar? And that's kind of our thoughts is maybe if you can turn $1 into multiple yields and you can take, the, then maybe the premiums could still go down, okay, theoretically, but the yields will always stay higher than market average. And that was kind of our conclusion. We think we can do that. Um, if you think about how an insurance fund makes money, Okay, they have a certain amount of money sourced into a fund. Okay, they have a certain amount available to create payouts, but the rest of the money sourced 
is being put into bonds, okay, and re being bought and buy, and it's, it's growing. They take that value of the fund and whatever available to be sourced, and they, they people get pre, paid premiums to get exposure to that value. And so the premiums paid out, when it's paid out the fund, a, a large portion is then reinvested to get more bonds, okay, and, and re-growing. So every insurance fund has three yields, and those three yields are meant to keep them competitive to make sure that they're not like not losing money on a year on year basis and they're always staying profitable and hopefully high profitable. And that's our thought is imagine if you take a dollar, okay, when it's deposited and we, we reinvest and grow that dollar, that same dollar being reinvested and grown is being used to insure and you're receiving premiums. And if you want, we can take those premiums and actually grow the value of that as well at the same time. So if you convert $1 into three yields and you're able to get uh, with that same value, there might be a way actually to be competitive while still driving down the premiums. Interesting conclusion we came to. So, sorry, I think we lost Joe there for just a moment, but we can we can continue. He'll probably come back here. Yeah. Um, so, I guess walk walk a bit, walk me through like how does this work? Like, what is the user journey of like of like a protocol coming to you and wanting to mm -hmm. be insured? So um, we have two things. We have we're looking to build our own personal insurance fund, but we also have a liquidity sourcing fund. So a protocol, okay, a protocol enters our ecosystem and they want insurance, okay? If they go to any competitors right now, I go and say I want a $10 million policy. But if you go to the competitors, all the competitors say we can only do 100000 I'm sorry. Like that's all we have available for the risk we can do. What we do is we have a fund, okay, that says we'll take as much of the risk as we can, you know, theoretically. So we get a $100,000 policy or a $200,000 policy. What we have on top of the system is what we're looking to do on top of the system is if we can't cover the rest, we're going to actually build pools where people can deposit assets to fill up the policy up to a maximum, okay, and receive the premiums associated with doing that. The pro what we're doing then for the user journey, for the problem that the protocols have is, you know, get, how do you source liquidity, okay, and then how do you actually track liquidity in that model? And that's a whole other problem we can get to. Um, and then for the protocol is how do you track liquidity and how do you keep the premiums to be reasonable? And our thoughts are basically when these as this pool fills up to the limit that you want as a protocol and you're paying out the premiums um if the premiums are we i think it's, it's allowing different forms of payment options um as long as it attracts liquidity so a lot of payment protocols only take pay, pay make payments and you usdc our thoughts are what if we can actually take payments maybe in multiple stable coins they can pay out but what also, what if we establish strike prices and they could pay on their own token? You receive a value of token as well. And that was our kind of two conclusions is if stablecoin return the premiums are too high, what if you can pay out tokens and that could attract liquidity? What could you do then with that token? All tokens do have inherent value if they're utilized correctly. And all tokens have stake rewards. Um, and here, so here's like what we're doing with the protocol to control the premiums is we have our own fund. We get it. We have the separate fund where people can source liquidity to fill the pool up and they receive the premiums of whatever is owed to them. And it's going to be probably a mixture of stable coins and their own native token of the protocol naturally accumulated. As token decreases in value, okay, as a premium, you're accumulating way more tokens. So maybe all former yields may be lower, but you have a lot more of that token. As it increases, tokens being accumulated actually decrease, um, but former yields are higher. But the, for that, for the user, okay, here's the problem. Okay, if you're trying to put, fill up a liquidity pool, even like a Nexus Mutual type pool, um, if, if an event does happen, you are gonna lose all your money. And it's probably gonna be way worse at a protocol level. So you think the cream finance hack, anyone who put money in the cream finance pool for Nexus Mutual got screwed and they lost a lot of money. 
And um, so what we're looking to do maybe is rather than make one pool, we will allow you to put one money in one pool. We're building pools with fractional weight exposure to multiple pools. So if you're in a pool now, okay, you deposit into these pools. We're going to take your asset, or, well, your pool, right? We're going to take whatever dollars in collateral you want to provide to put down. And we're going to basically put you allow you to put in pools with maybe 1% exposure to 100 protocols. Let's say a top 100 DeFi index. If an event happens, your maximum loss in event, or say maybe is 1%, 2% on, a, on, 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 a, on your principal. That same now asset is also accumulating the premiums mixture weight of 100 protocols. Of the tokens you're receiving these protocols, we're going to take them if you want and auto stake them onto the, on the protocols because stake rewards naturally. So this adds to the model for the user. It's actually kind of powerful is without having to pay all the gas fees associated, as tokening decreases in value, at like say a daily strike price, the amount of tokens accumulated in increase, which means staking rewards increase. As token increases in value, all former yields naturally um, decrease, but like it's uh, like as increase about all former yields are higher, but all staking rewards decrease. These are actually naturally dynamic in each other and will increase your value you receive. Of the exposure you get to all these different protocol tokens, you basically are now getting a massive exposure, similar to like an ETF that's almost yielding, um, you know, but it's not. It's you're just bu buying collateral weight. And the risk you're taking on on events is 1% or 2%. Of all the assets deposited in these index pools, if we accept USDC and DAI, we'll take those assets and reinvest them and grow them for you. Okay. And we're going to take those assets and grow them for you. Say we can get a very low risk rate event on a naturally well tranched portfolio that we are, we're developing. And um, basically, for those portfolios, say your stable coins are going at five six percent, you're also receiving like a five six percent in DeFi tokens of that same dollar, and you're also getting the staking rewards of every one of those tokens. Whatever premium weight is now is no token now. Not each protocol is supporting each other. You know, all the tokens now you're receiving, like all the yields now are supporting each other. And if a payout does happen to the principal, rather than pulling your money out from what you owe, we're going to take your growth in your stable coins. And, and cut off any loss you're naturally going to pay out. And so you're actually building a hedge naturally at, at, on a time horizon as it grows. But all these yields now, we're converting $1 into in the three yields, and all the yields are provably coming from one um, from different sources. Usually, if you see a yield, you always have to ask the question, why is the yield so high in anything, and am I the yield? Okay, because that's a scary question there. For this system, you know, there, there's, there's, you are not the yield. All yields are being sourced from different ecosystems naturally, and that, I think that's the attractiveness of the system. Um, for protocols, what we're looking to do eventually, the problem that we have for the user is if you want to claim all these DeFi tokens, it's a gas event, okay, for every DeFi token you claim. So how do we control that, right? If you're in a protocol, even on Matic, 100 claims is, is pretty substantial. Um, you know, what, what we're looking to do eventually is convert those into um, uh, some kind of like a uh, – uh, a token that's made up of all those type things that you can actually receive and sell. If you just want to receive one token, be one one gas claim event. If you don't want to receive all the tokens naturally, um, a great example of how this is being developed is a project called Cook Finance. What Cook Finance does is they build like coins, like kind of co coins similar to like ETFs, you know, similarly. And all it could mean is like if we established a few index pools, we could easily build something. It's like now it's now a dividend paying ETF token where you're naturally like you can only claim one and pay the gas fees. So you can now choose, do I want to receive all these tokens and have them auto state for me? Um, and then if not, I can just convert all into one and then receive that on one gas fee. And and that then that's the optionality. So for whales, you probably want to receive every token because you want to get the, the price fluctuation of these tokens if you're showing this model. But for the user, if it's a retailer, if you just want exposure, you can just get, you know, receive this one token. 
And like that's from for the user journey as a model, we turn into an actually attractive liquidity sourcing model versus it's very actually significantly low risk to use this ecosystem while actually buying risk and the yield can actually become substantially high. Um, and then for the protocols, if we source enough liquidity, you know, as more protocols come on board the system, as long as they're whitelisted and approved by us for the first part, for the first, um, you know, while we're running, then it actually gets safer for the user to use these pools. And, you know, if you're in a pool with lower weight exposure to multiple events, as long as the pools have a good rating, then you're actually doing things very safely. Um, there's a little more detail than that, but that's kind of what we're building. Um, that's a lot of detail. It's great. It's great. <laughs> no, it, and, and I mean, on that, you know, you say exposure and risk, you're going back to the beginning. I know you, you gave the cream finance uh, hack mm -hmm. example way, way up front there. How do you, how do you look at risk? I mean, how do you, are you, are you auditing smart contracts? Are you auditing platforms? Are you auditing processes, the team? Like how, how do you go about looking at risk? So when you look at risk, there's a lot of things there. Um, when you look at risk, there's a lot of things there. Um, every protocol consensus, consensus is making a risk rating. Banker is making a risk rating. Um, everyone's trying to make a risk rating. Um, and everyone's always complaining because the risk ratings are not actually working. Um, we're, we're still developing that actuary, our actuary models. Um, but you have to create a criteria that is provably true. And the criteria is built on what's provably true based on historical data, okay? So for the record, if you want to create any kind of actuary analysis, you need about three to five years of data to create an output of what you think the risk is usually for an actuary. We have about, I would say, DeFi has really been around since DeFi summer. I think that's true to say that we saw exponential growth um, that was significant during that time. And I think it's around then DeFi actually took off and risk increased dramatically. So what we do, if we only have about two years of data, how do you create any form of analysis? Less than two years of data. Our thoughts and our approach is that we, um, first of all, you know, we take the data and we actually just take the expected loss on quarter to quarter basis, right? Just a natural output. Start manipulating your data and start looking at that. What we're going to do basically is we can start seeing what you're going to find or what we're finding right now is we're still in this development of the risk modeling. So I'm just really showing our process right now is you, we are finding truths about different things that happen that make that like make the protocol significantly less risky. Like you're saying audits, who's auditing, how many, how much auditing. And when it comes to auditing, it, when you actually, if you want to do detail, it's lines of code audited and, and speed of audit. Just because a good firm that's historically good audits your company does not mean it's good if you're pushing them to read a thousand lines of code in, in one day. And it means you're not going to fix the model. And so, like, it's, it's really looking at different kind of measures like that to actually evaluate the risk rating of the system. And the risk then also becomes two things. Likeliness of event happening and expected loss of event happening. And by looking at those two, then you can create a premium accordingly. Um, and, and that's kind of like how we're starting to look at things. Um, we're and all the data we're looking to do on the output we're hoping to make open source so everyone sees our ratings a lot of people know risk rating is is a very contentious system where like everyone's trying to hide them that data because you know if they get it right they can sell it to everyone and our thoughts are i think everyone hates these risk rating systems because they're not transparent so if we can make them transparent how we're going by doing it it allows the DAO to go by and actually keep the value of the system the second thing we're doing go ahead just question just small question on that and it's just about the transparency of the ratings because it, it feels like I, I agree with you like with transparency however as soon as any protocol knows what like the, the rating the ratings are and what they need to achieve to be an a rating 
like we live in a world now where there are yes. just the amount of human capital that's available to manipulate yeah. any sort of rating is completely there. Yeah. So it's like, how do you find that balance between like, if you said, Hey, a protocol in order to be, you know, one of the KPIs is like 500,000 like addresses or a community size of like, you know, a hundred thousand posts a day on, you know, on social or something. These, the, these folks can go get that. Yeah. Right. Like anyone can go get that versus saying, you know, and we kind of deal with this too a little bit with like, cause we're kind of providing some sort of rating. Right. And yeah. it's like, we're constantly, you know, it's like you're, you're, it's a battle at all times to stay ahead of where the other parties are at. Cause they're going to never yeah. stop. And so it's like, what do you think about that a little bit where it's like some stuff need to be transparent, but some stuff needs to be like the secret sauce of why you're, you know, you're providing the best rating. Yeah. So two things. Um, first of all, you're right. So banks, okay. They, they keep certain credit risk ratings like private. Cause if you know, if you have to hit certain criteria, you could try to manipulate it. And it's not necessarily right. good to manipulate. Um, like you take something like a parametric model or like different kinds of models where it's open source criteria. If it can be manipulated, then you're not going to be able to do, do it. Now let's say historically though, we know if you have certain audits from these companies and you take exponential amount of time per line of code, this has actually never been hacked these systems okay but by these people we can post that and make that a criteria this is a standard you should be trying to achieve you know and or if you're backed by different ecosystems this is a standard that you're trying to achieve from there so that's like in one of thought you know is like that's not necessarily a bad thing now with the but the thing is is like you're right if, if you have something like wallet addresses if you have something like uh you know community members and you just have to have xyz amount you can just pay for that and or you can just do it yourself. And so it's 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 making it's it's also how much you value. And certain things you can get that it can be provably very true are not easy to get even if you know. And the things that are, yeah, you can get, but you just have to weigh those significantly less than before. And that's like the really important thing. It's like you need, but you can you can definitely get a triple C, but like are you gonna get a triple A? You know, is that what you're saying? Um, and these triple A's you can't just like bake. Like an audit from this firm, okay, a provable by provable exposure. Let's say if Luna Crush had an auditing company or auditing project, you know, like, you know, you can't fake having Luna Crush looking at that, right? Looking at the backend code, open sourceness. You can't fake being open source. Um, and you and, and also there's other thing to add is like there are a lot of code structures available that like you can know are are usually malicious. Like a, a honeypot has a very very direct code structure. You know, money goes in, money can't come out and you get token, but like money is not coming out and we don't know the value of token. That's a honeypot, you know, and we can always know, we can always like look for the criteria like that as well. So it's like, it's in one breath, it's keeping standardization where you should be trying to achieve these. And if you don't, um, if you like, it's also make sure the criteria cannot just be naturally hidden easily. Is that, that's our two kind of thoughts and approaches. Um, and it also, um, it, it's not a bad thing for everyone to be using your risk rating system. And that's my honest thought. It's especially if you're trying to work more like, um, you know, we're, we're not just, we're not a normal insurance. We're, we're in some ways we're a product. And because of that, you have to like, it's not a bad thing to push people towards better behavior. Um, and knowing from these state, you get better behavior. It's just making sure it's not a copy and paste what you're saying like wallet addresses and stuff. Mm -hmm. The better behavior part is extremely important. There's a lot of, I don't want to call them bad actors, but there's a lot of people that take advantage of every system here. This is, this yeah. is sort of the the ground floor of like yield farming. Like I'm always going to take advantage of what always is ever there, and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what's ethical or not. I just got a higher yield. 
Yeah. And it's like, it, it, you know, it, it makes me wonder, like, as part of that, you know, like, as an example, you know, could launch a token uh, today on on BSC and bridge it over to Avalanche and all these other chains in the next few hours, right? It's a token that doesn't, it could be a token that does nothing, right? It could just be a, you know, like, I might have a lot of money and I have a utility mm -hmm. list token. I'm throwing it out everywhere. It's everywhere. It does nothing, but it, it offers really high yield. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at, like, I look at, there's a lot of that, by the way, out yeah. there. And I look at like risk from that standpoint of like, you know, hey, they might check all the boxes. The code might be pretty good. Um, everything looks fine. Looks like there's a legitimate team. Doesn't do anything though. This token is just a cash grab. Like there's there's a lot of that. And so yeah. I, I wonder like from a risk perspective, when when you look at insuring things, how does that play into, into the mix, the utility part? So when it comes to like things, that's not a clear, there's no clear concise answer there. Because if you're fully decentralized, right, um, you're going to necessarily maybe have problems where you can, these guys can break in. Um, and they can build a fractional pool or they can join a fractional pool and then get all these different things in. Um, our thoughts on that is, at least in the first model, we're going to have to whitelist to make sure we approve every good protocol that comes in. We just have to whitelist it. We have to. It's just the reality. And our thoughts are we can probably borrow a lot of the models from Rory Capital and the whitelisted yield models from like Rari Capital and how they do things, you know, they have the whitelisted pools and the non-whitelisted. You can use the non-whitelisted if you want, but like our thoughts are if we don't approve, okay, um, just because of the system, like, you know, say if we wait length of time is also a thing we try to get insured. Let's say that and they don't meet that length of time criteria, then let's say, uh, you know, because they're obviously, if they're, if they're a, a money grab, it's, the project's not going to last that long. And, you know, um, unless you consider ohm, I don't really consider like an ohm to be like a money grab, but the ohm forks potentially, right? Um, so like when you look at those systems, I think it's just like saying like we have to whitelist to make sure we know these are long-term projects or long-term protocols. And they're also, so not just because the code is good, make sure it's a long-term project. And I think that's really important um, for, for how you're gonna go by evaluating these things. Um, that's kind of my thoughts. Um, and it's just a whitelist, I think. I think we're going to create criteria where if we approve it and we think it's a good system and we do think it's a long-term project, we're going to allow them to join these fractional pools. And if people want to deposit money in these risky pools on their own, get the maybe you can promise 10,000 APY. I don't care. You know what I mean? If people are going to put money, they're going to put money in. Um, but, like, we're not going to let them join these, like, attractive liquidity systems, you know, if they're not whitelisted. And that's our thoughts. And whitelisting can be somewhat decentralized where it's run by a DAO. Um, and I think Rari is doing a good job achieving that. And so, so like as, as some of these protocols are insured, let's say that they're insured, but then they, they get on some exchange mm -hmm. and that exchange gets hacked and, and that exchange just lost a million of their tokens. Is, is that exchange now responsible for that? And is, is like the responsibility of what you're insuring? Is that, is that off limits now? Or is, is there like a line in the sand? So, you know, we'll, we'll make it very clear. Um, we're, we're covering your smart contract risk. And if you're an investment or like an investment vehicle, like a yield, you're in finance, we're going to help try to cover a weight of your exposure to all the other vehicles you use on a smart contract on the lines of going on exchange. Um, now I probably not. No, um, I don't think you can really cover that. Cause like, if we can't audit the code, if we can't look at the system, we can't prove it's good. Then how do you, how do you cover that? And that's the reality there. Like you can't. And I think a great example is like the everyone's getting really upset about the recent hack on GPDC. Um, and um, if 
trying to remember the name of the protocol on top of my head, I, but it's like an OG classic, GPDC. There was a major hack on the front end recently where someone manipulated the wall address that Bitcoin was being moved to and stole a lot of money. And, uh, you know, on the front end, but like, and people are mad no one's insured for that. But like, the fact that like the front end is closed source, is quiet and no one can see the code, it's very hard to, how do you go by and actually say, I can insure that if I can't prove anything about the system. And that'd probably be the same for exchanges. We can't prove the security of a system. It's not open source. It's not that doing that. So we can't cover that. What we can cover is your exposure to other open source systems and the open sourceness about that. And I think you can also cover um, your own open sources, your own smart contracts is what we can protect. It's a really exciting and interesting delineation that you just said, because right. you know, I think people look at DeFi and decentralization as scary and there's more risk. And technically what what you're what you just said was actually the central entities are very risky because right. yeah. they they also don't have proper insurance either. And yeah. they get hacked and they can't be audited properly, nor can they be insured properly. Yeah, exactly. Well, so it's it's uh it's a, you're right. You said it. So it's like if you don't know what the technic the tech technical risk is, how do you insure that? And that's the real problem here. Hmm. And um you know, in these open source systems, we can evaluate, we can grow and we can build together. And we're going to see that happen, I think, as we keep developing and grow. Um, one problem is, you know, part of these codes are being built by mad geniuses and those rarely ever get hacked. Um, and the ones that aren't are being made by high school kids. And, uh, you know, like, I think, was it TempleDAO? I saw a joke that TempleDAO, the, the CEO of TempleDAO is dropping out of high school to manage a $50 million treasury. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Um, I kind of love that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, right? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we're throwing fuel on the fire and that kid's like, screw you guys. I'm going to build the shit out of this. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in a weird place right now. Uh, and But these open source systems are something you can evaluate and we can build around that together. We can create standardization what to look for. Um, a, a project I always like to point out is Credmark. Credmark is one of um, someone we're partnered with. We're going to be working very closely with as we build this risk system out. They're trying to be the Moody's basically of DeFi and try to be an open source decentralized Moody. And because of that, what I love about like what they're doing is like they start pushing standardization of what to be approaching and trying to be. Okay. And 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 the actual value of products being built, but the standardization aspect is like really important to me because now we have something to work towards. We know if you do this structure, you're fine. You know, if you have get these codes, like again, what we're saying, you know, the the likeness of bugs are much lower. And like and the other systems being built as well. Half Stop Finance is a really cool project where they're basically like conglomerating, um, like where to do white um, white uh, hacker, what's it called? Um, white hat um, protection, white right? Hat hacking. Bugs and bounties. And and there's another pro project I know personally, a guy doing something similar with the graph to build like notes and like to do to find all the lists. So like. What we're seeing is standardization and good behavior working together to build systems. And it's just creating good incentives to keep doing that. And I think we're on track. It's just going to take a long time. But I, I, I think we're, we're going to approach a point where using DeFi is safer and less risky than going to be like using a lot of these exchanges. Um, we're going to approach yeah. it. I, lo I love that John asked you kind of like John, L. John asked John Libby, mm -hmm. which is an this L, um, an actuarial type question. And your actuarial type answer was, you know, looking at assessing the risk of these two things, like the the decentralized one is provable, right? Like, and we can see that. And so, you know, there's and there's like the human element to a lot of stuff, right? It's like all these hacks that happen. It's like like the Twitter hack, 
right? It wasn't like someone actually going and like hacking the code of that or breaking like a password, yeah. like a brute force entry. Like that's just, that stuff doesn't happen as much as, hey, like, you know, we're kind of like social engineering, like figuring out someone that works there, that person had some sort of leak, right? Cause we're all humans and that person had like, you know, a family or like a dinner to go to or something. There was some moment of weakness somewhere and that's the person it ends yeah. up, you know, kind of getting hacked. And it's like in the centralized system, that's all over the place. Yeah. There are leaks everywhere. And it's so randomized that it's like, cause it's just humans and it's human behavior versus saying, hey, this is the code base, right? We can prove that this is how it works, right? These are the only people that can call this smart contract. You can ensure that, Yeah. right? It's like, it's, it's very like in the, you know, and it's like in the traditional world. And it's like, if you've got the large um, insurance providers, like insuring the Coinbase of the world and everyone else, like, look, you know, as soon as something happens, they write that out, they write that out, they write that out. Like they're writing everything out instantly as soon as like a new kind of threat comes and then you got to pay for it. And then how expensive does that get? And so it's like, you, that's why you ultimately see a lot of these people self-insuring, yep. right? Cause they're like, Hey, I'm going to go start self-insuring. You know, once I hit a certain critical mass, I mean, is that an opportunity for folks that like for you guys saying like, Hey, we're just going to be press this button here, self-insure this, like, we're just kind of like this underlying technology that's going to kind of support that. Ideally. Okay. The captive model, right. That's, that's called captive insurance. When you choose to self-insure, we'd love to be a model like that long-term for the protocol. So our thoughts is first of all, ideally we direct with the treasuries. Okay. We direct with the protocols. And so if the protocol is hacked, right, we give the money to them and they distribute accordingly how they need to. And maybe down the road we can create a media where we just directly work with the user through the protocol. We just like, but so what you're saying yeah i i think um the problem with self-insuring is can you get a policy sizable enough to create the maximum coverage you need and secondly can you find other different kinds of um alternative entities uh that will that'll help build out your model like reinsurance and so i'm hoping what we can be eventually is a model where protocols can like especially that are growing out can put like an insure button okay like you're saying like on the protocols you get a lower yield that yield just goes directly to us to pay off, like to build a larger fund um, that gets more protect more protection for the user, and that's what I'm hoping we can be. And eventually, if there's enough trust in certain protocols and certain DAOs, then we can just build captive, right? You can build a captive fund or you know captive fractional pools, where um, protocols deliberate, uh, but we create a risk report, we submit it, and the protocols deliberate accordingly how they need to distribute. And like that'd be the long term vision if something something like that. Um, it's just making sure we have a, a good claims process right now that's put in place that's going to be um, fair and balanced, and um, um, which we're still designing. Um, but it's some fair and balanced, and something that isn't like creates bias or bad actor behavior. Um, I see a lot of claim systems being built that have been practiced and practiced in the system that incentivize people to not create payouts even if they haven't happened, uh, where it's if it's been both in a mutual voting or something, and like because. If, if they vote, they lose their money on the pool. Like, yes, if they vote no, they don't lose money in the pool. And, like, there's a lot of bad actor events that can be created from a lot of systems being built out. And so our goal is to, like, try to make it as unbiased as possible. And But the problem with a captive fund is it can become very biased uh, as long as they're not violating their policies too much. And so that will be, like, the next step. We'll have to worry about that now. So quick question on, on a claim event. You know, how do you – how do you know that you're not being gamed when someone says, Hey, we were just hacked for $90 million. And I mean, there's a couple things like, what if they're the bad actor trying to game you? And then what if, what if they were, or, or what if they're, 
I don't know. They were all at the the Dubai Formula One race. Their their CTO that hold the private keys and someone hacked them. They weren't paying any attention. They were negligent. Yeah. And and like so, how do you how do you look at an event and and distributing claims? Man, those shadowy supercoders, man. They're always putting bugs in the right, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so that that's a tough one, right? So it's whose whose job is to deliberate. Our kind of goal is to basically create risk reports. After the event claim is filed, we create a risk report from this database we're building and from other databases. And we're going to submit it to an unbiased court on what we think the event was and like the suggestion probably like an Aragon court or um, to basically deliberate and be like, here's our report, here's our expectation, here's what we think you should do. And they create a payout accordingly. Ideally, po ideally postmortems come out later. We can look at that and evaluate. But that's proven to be not clear. We have to do our best to deliberate and make sure the protocols we bring on board are solid protocols and that, that comes down to the whitelisting process. And secondly, um, you have to try to do our best to try to figure deliberate through reports. Um, Postmortems don't always do the best job of figuring out if it was internal or not. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And um, our goal is to create our own thoughts on what it was in the event and have an unbiased group have to, have to vote on it. And we think that's the best way to do it. The best, the, what we need to make sure is um, controlled loss, okay, if we do a model like that. For the user, okay, the, the less control you have over your underlying assets or principal, it gets kind of scary. So for you, so as a user, as a capital provider, um, when the event's happening, you know, it, you don't want to see loss on your initial principal, whatever the weight is, especially in events that you don't agree with. And so our, our, our my thoughts is if we can convert a high enough yield and we can fractionalize the weight, we should be able to hedge off any loss you're seeing. And that's that's the point of the fractional pools coming out again. It's your, your loss is very controlled, so hopefully eventually it'll be not noticeable. You know, it's kind of our kind of our, our vision is how we build these pools over time. It's great. What ends up happening there too is you know your incentive you know ends up becoming like security and safety of these assets, right? So you become yeah. like the best educator on you know the best practices for like handling these kind of large sums of treasuries or whatever like whoever whatever anyone wants to be insured in the space. So it's like you end up becoming the people that are like, hey, we, we do need to solve some of these UX issues and some of these safety issues for some of these things. And like, how does that work? And how does that look? That's an interesting incentive model, because it is more profitable for you guys to not have to pay out these claims, right? Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. I mean, it's it is interesting with, um, you know, when you say an unbiased panel of, of folks, right? It's like, yeah. what does that like, what does that end up because in my mind, it's kind of interesting if you're like, hey, what if there are like, the top 10 DAOs? out there right it's like please your DAO or like whatever DAO that ended up being kind of created it's like what if you could say you know hey these are these DAOs have some sort of rating and you know because you said it's like almost like a court system right yeah. but we're saying now we have this like decentralized court system of DAOs and like some of the people in these DAOs are like you know a, a duck avatar but like they have a very high like competency rating because yeah. maybe they have a million ETH or whatever it may be it's like that becomes super interesting, but it's like, how do you decide what that panel looks like and who the people are that have like the, how like educated are they on the industry and that you yeah. know, specific case? So it's like, you almost need like, like legislation for crypto in a way. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. Cause if you have a bunch of randos, no matter the report you build out, if they don't know anything, it's not a good idea to have them vote. Um, our thoughts are we can produce our, our, our eventually vision is to produce some kind of risk analyzer or underwriter to create reports. And basically, as the size of hack goes up, the more, more required to discuss and deliberate with this core system, the, 
the best, like the more you have to have basically of deliberators to yeah. help educate. So, you know, say the, the hack goes to like half, half a million, you know, you need two. Okay. If it's a million plus, you need like four. And these guys are meant to work in this court. And secondly, um, you know, we also, when people are added to the court, we have to make sure they're verified to be able to deliberate both unbiasedly and we think are competent enough to get the knowledge there. So what happens, I think, is if you pick an, a random selector, you still have to do due diligence after the people are randomly selected and you have to figure that accordingly. And, the, and then that'll probably come down to the underwriters to make sure like, you know, I think this person, you know, just simple questions. I think this person can deliberate. Ideally, eventually it'd be good. You select a few DAOs and you have a couple like members from each DAO or a couple members like from each DAO, maybe even a list, right? And you just pull from the list and randomly select from the list. And then this person has a bias, this person has a bias, this person has a bias, and you do that. Um, there's no system right now that does that. And that it's it's tough to right. do that internally. And so um, ideally, we, we've definitely talked about that, especially with the own internal fund is let the DAOs argue with each other um, about well, the buddy. <laughs> Um, was a joke and because um, then they create their own standards um, but like ideally we want to work to something like that but we just have to make sure we're, we're being um, both um, responsible so make sure we use the right underwriters to keep reporting and secondly we um, have to use the technology we have now and we think that's still the best way unless you want us to do all the deliberation ourselves and that might not go over well as we've seen with other systems yeah, this is such an interesting conversation. I actually want us to oh, sit yeah. here one year from now and see one year from today, we should put it on our calendar and see how this has evolved. Because this is like, you know, people, they throw the word governance around, right? Yeah. Um, and and people are, are trying to figure out, well, what's a governance process for letting your users vote on things, right? They're thinking simple things. They're yeah. not thinking of of like letting a, a like very defined architecture of users who are going to vote on a $90 million hack that occurred and what should happen and evaluate all this stuff. Like that is next level governance. That's a lot of and pressure, like, right? It is, it <laughs> is. And, and then, and then you have like, you know, different domestic laws and cause like, let's say, let's say, you know, some of these protocols are a corporation in a company, in a country, yeah. right? Like, mm -hmm. is this legally recognized by any court system? Is it not? Or is someone, opting out of that system by getting, you know, DeFi insurance over right. here versus saying, I'm going to insure with say Aon or something yeah. like, is it, is it yeah. a totally different structure? So there's so many rules yeah. to figure out with this. Yeah. But think about it too. It's like, where did the hack happen? Yeah. Right? Well, it happened in it on a protocol. Right. It didn't, maybe it didn't even happen like on a cloud computing system. Like yeah. it didn't have, it happened somewhere else. It's like, well, what jurisdiction is that in? And it's like, well, what if like six layer ones all had something happen? It's like, do each of those like governance protocols or foundations like elect a person to go talk about this? And then like, what jurisdiction is that in? And like, what does Germany have to say about that versus France versus yeah. the United States? Like who's in charge there? Or is are we just creating this new system where it's like, because when you think about it, we're talking about creating like some sort of Supreme Court is what we're saying, like a board that's going to decide. You were talking, John, you're like, they need to be duly elected or duly like it's the same process where we're like hey is this person good at this right. yes or no and we have a person that we've elected that says that what we're saying is how does that happen in a decentralized open manner where people can vote and then like which protocols maybe because what you're saying is hey maybe stacks has an a plus 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 like governance and foundation and the, we've all agreed does like their vote count more than maybe another protocol that's not as much it's like holy shit we're basically rewriting everything right now and we've got you know and it's just interesting because it all comes up with insurance because 
that's where there's actual like what happens here right with everything else it's like there's never a con as much of a conflict with insurance it's like someone wins someone loses and so you someone has to decide that the long-term vision for steady state is to move away yeah it's it's how far you want to develop that system and is that the best system you also have to ask okay so um for the policies I, I, one system I really love, um, I came to a lot of the same conclusions, um, and I think they came to it before I did, um, but, like, I came to a lot of the same conclusions a lot of the time they pub- made this publicly about, like, uh, was Risk Harbor. I, I love their system. I, it's a parametric, automated insurance payoffs. The problem, parametric is a form of insurance where as long as you can prove, like, on public, tra- um, public transparent data, if an event happens... You agree to a payout pre to the event, what the payout is, okay, and the criteria is, and you also agree the payout happens based on parameters hitting and parameters that can't be manipulated. So, like, yeah. um, an example is like a hurricane or an earthquake. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't manipulate that much in damages to a city. You can't manipulate a, a Richter scale. You can't, you know what I mean? You, you, the numbers are the numbers, and it's public and transparent. You agree to, you can't, you can't, like, rig the fact that you're. Your business collapsed from it. You could try, but it's so that's a lot of work. Yeah. It's like, um, and, and 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 so like it's, it's parametric automated da- data where you agree if triggers criteria is hit, then organize the payout. Um, the, my my goal is for us to almost move to that system over time, but it's it's how do you get there? It's like like Risk Harbor again. I, I think it's a good system. You know, they're 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 asking they're probably asking the same question because they want to do smart contract protection at the retail level. But right now they're only doing depeggings because depeggings you can't really manipulate that it, it depegs or it doesn't, and you know, uh, so it's like if if it turns out that automated policies are just totally not viable, then we just stick we we go as far into this other system as possible and build it out to as robust as we can, and we'll see what that looks like. I think first our, our worry about is make sure we have market fit, which is what we're doing right now in the product documentation, and then build product right. You know. Like we're like 45% builds out. So we want to make sure that everyone's on board for the build and all the protocols we have on board for the project so far are on board. And after that, we worry about everything else later. As so as on, so on, on that note, so on that note, what can, what can the, the community look forward to uh, coming, coming soon from steady state? Um, right now we're right now we're deep in the weeds of product documentation. So um, making sure everything makes technical sense. And from there, um, we'll be looking to, after that, we'll be looking to do, um, we have a lot of protocols and projects on board already that are really interested in what we're doing. And so the goal is to make sure, do some test routes with them to make sure everyone's on board with all the builds and the UFUI is friendly. So that's what we're doing all internally for the next couple months, like next month, I think we'll be doing. And then after that, we're going to do um, a seed round. And then after that, we're going to finalize that. And we're going to do product launch. Ideally, we're looking, we'll have the actual date soon from the CTO. But we're looking to have a test net and product launch around March, April. And what I want the user to see, basically, when we have this out, this test net, is I want you, the user, to see high yields. You know, I want your experience as a user to look forward to. It's not, oh, great, another insurance protocol, but actually uh, a different kind of model where the risk is low and the returns are high. And the returns are may all be variable, but they're all coming from somewhere. And a new product where you're accumulating a bunch of tokens, naturally, you don't have to worry about which ones you're going to buy. And one freaking increases in price like crazy. You're like, oh, wow, I already have that. Release dashboard pay strike and do what you want. You know, a new system where you get mass exposure to DeFi at and very low um, risk, actually, by ironically buying the risk. It's very exciting. Very cool.
Awesome, man. Well, well, uh, John, you're going to have to end the broadcast because I'm, I'm on my phone <laughs> and I have 1% left. Uh, but John Libby, man, hey, dude, super fun le- you know, learning about you and, you know, insurance and like, you know, John and I always go down the rabbit hole. I feel like if it's like nonprofit insurance, all like the things that people think are boring are not at all. And they bring out all of the best pieces that like the real problem solving. And it seems like you're going to go down that path with yourself. So best of luck. Come on in a year. Let's talk about it again. Let's see where you guys are at. But really appreciate you being on here. And um, thank you, everyone out there for listening to this. And uh, it'll be on all the podcast networks and everything else. YouTube, it'll be up tomorrow. So appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Great. Take care, everyone.